Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in our Johannesburg studios is the Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration for South Africa, Sindisiwe Chikunga, who previously served as Deputy Minister of Transport. She's been involved in politics since the 1980s and held various positions in the African National Congress structures, including the ANC Youth League as well as ANC Women's League. She's been a member of Parliament for over 10 years and has served on several portfolio committees, including housing as well as correctional services and chairing the Portfolio Committee on Police. Welcome to the show, Deputy Minister. Thank you very much for having us, and I want to greet your listeners. Thank you so much, and it's so wonderful to see you again. The last time we met, you were in the the transport sector, and now you're into public service and administration. Yes, it's it's an important move for me. Um, You know, transport is transport. We, We used to say we are the heartbeat of South Africa's economic growth and social development when we said we keep South Africa moving. Now we are saying, no, we are here to say public service. These are the norms and standards, and we care, we belong, and we save. And that's where we are now. And that's the, the governance, that's the machinery which actually makes everything work. If, 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 if South Africa must work, government has to deliver, and it is through public servants and public service that those things happen. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the work that you're doing in this portfolio? You know, we, we're responsible, like I've said, for norms and standards uh, that are set for all government departments and to oversee and to monitor that those norms and standards are being implemented. We set broad norms and standards and then departments from those broad norms and standards, they then develop their own, if you like, technical standards. The Batupili principles, for instance, to be implemented. And then they say, in terms of Batupili principles, this is what we are going to do. This is how we're going to share information with people, for instance. This is how we're going to communicate with people. So that is what we do as the Department of, 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 of Public Service and Administration. And we go out to people and to departments to check whether they are doing it. And with Bartopella, it's it's people first. Yes. That's ultimately the principles mm. and, and the standards that, mm. that are all directed on. Let's say it's one of the, the movements that the world has been doing on, on customer centricity and yes. people centricity. Yes. It is all about the people. Exactly. That's what government is for anyway. It's for the people and by the people and of the people. And, and therefore, it's all about people. And public service, it's about services to the people. Otherwise, there's no need for public service if, if it's not about people. And you're not just serving South Africa in some instances. Exactly. You're also serving the parliaments and the, the public service aspects within the continent with a focus of, of doing some integration work. And, you know, increasingly, we, we are in a, a globally connected society. Mm-hmm. And I know that part of the um, the department's mission is to contribute towards improved public administration in Africa and internationally through dialogue and sharing of best practices. Mm-hmm. One of those mechanisms is the African peer review mechanism, which you've been heavily involved with. Tell us more about it. Remember, African Review Mechanism was initiated in 2002. 
and was then established in 2003. And South Africa was one of the co-founding countries of APRM. It's also part of the African Union. It's not just uh, APRM sitting on, on the sidelines. It's an integral part in of In fact, our it's a specialized agent of, of, the, of, of the AU. And it, it is there to foster good governance in all member states of, AP, of APRM. I'm saying of APRM because you still do have some member states that are members to AU but not members to APRM. In fact, you have about, about something like 54 countries who are members of AAU but 38 countries that are members of, of, of APRM. So if you accede to that, then you are acceding. You are actually saying, I'm subjecting myself as a country to all the statutes of, of APRM, to the review that has to happen, planned or unplanned, requested by the country, or because you have got it is due for the country to happen. And why do you consider APRM to be so important? First, it's about good governance. It's about sharing uh, experiences with your other countries. It's about enforcing some good governance and principles, for instance. It's about identifying deficiencies in a country. I'm, I'm able, free, without fear of, of, of being maybe uh, seen to be against a particular country, to say to that country, but we think you're not doing well here because it's part of APRM mechanism. So you are able to say that. You are able to say, let's talk about migration in Africa. So you, you are able to talk about those things because you share these experiences, because you, are, you have a right to identify those deficiencies. But you are not just doing it just for the sake of doing it. You are doing it so that countries in Africa can grow their economies, mm -hmm. so that countries in Africa can have good governance, so that there can be social well-being in Africa. So the main aim is not just for its sake but for those member states to achieve these things that I've mentioned. It's almost when you're saying I'm, I'm getting visions of, of the Universal Declaration of, of Human Rights, of, of something to adhere to yes. because I would imagine part of your challenge is looking at 38 member states, 38 different countries, different cultures, mm -hmm. trying to bring all of those voices into a, a shared space and to come out with one common language must be difficult. It, it definitely will be difficult because whilst you do that, you are also conscious of the sovereignty of countries. You know, you, 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 you can say it up to this far, then countries themselves have to do things their way in terms of their own legislations, their constitutions, their whatever. But this provides that important platform, particularly heads of state and governments in Africa, to actually say, but you, you, at least here, you're not doing it right. But if you don't know, we have an experience of this, we can share our experience with you. Uh, to say we, we've been where you are now. Don't repeat the mistakes that we made. So, so you're able to say that in this platform and this forum, and my own view is that it's such a good forum, but maybe we are not there yet to make everybody appreciate its role. It's a mechanism that is not only about people somewhere in positions of government politicians, but it is also a, a, a mechanism and a forum where people, ordinary people from rural areas far from everywhere 
to begin to say because we are people residing in far-flung areas, this is our experience uh, 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 with government or with one, two, three, four issues. And those, they then form part of the report. I completely hear your your passion for the topic and it's going to become more important because next year, come 2020, South Africa takes over from the Republic of Chad to assume chairmanship of the APRM. Plus, it becomes the start of the second generation review process. Yes, of course. In fact, the three things that are going to happen next year in February, one, our president will be the chair of AU and therefore AU Assembly. And also he will be the chairperson of APR Forum, which is the highest decision making body of APRM because it's a, it's a committee of heads of government and states and and he will be chairing that but our the minister of public service and administration will also be chairing the focal points which are ministers responsible for governance in di- in different countries or member states of APRM and and as a country we are moving towards ensuring that we constitute our national governing council so that we are able to be ready for the second uh, generation review which of course has to start next year you're going to be a very busy lady. Can, that for sure. That is for sure. To drive something like this calls for somebody with some stamina. But I have passion for this, and 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 I think it's something. It, it's it, it, you. You can never go to any university to get to know what people feel like. We're talking to them direct and hearing it from them direct. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we are talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Ms. Sindisiwe Chikunga. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Staying with the department, the public sector is South Africa's biggest employer. And one of the objectives of the department is to improve the effectiveness and efficiency of public service and service delivery through various programs. One of which I think is is program four, which deals with information and technology management, promoting ICT in order to deliver citizen-centered services within government. And in the opening of our conversation, you said the department is here about public service to deliver service to the people. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the the programs which perhaps have more of a specific benefit to women? You know, in in, in South Africa, maybe it's proper that, that I mentioned, we were embracing the issue of women empowerment to the extent that we have a ministry responsible for that, a minister and a deputy minister with the DGs and everybody, that as they sleep and wake up, they say, how do we empower women? What are the issues that make women happy? What are the issues that make women unhappy? And what it is that we need to do to bring on board women so that they too participate in the economy of South Africa. So we have a department. But we also have a department of public service and administration that sets norms and standards that also must empower women. 
We have the Department of Treasury that sets standards that also aim at ensuring that women and young people are empowered to the extent of setting quotas for them to say, if you have a project, so much must be reserved for women. So this is what is happening in South Africa. But as the department also, we are saying, like you are away, we have heard the issue of gender-based violence. We are saying it doesn't only happen out there. It is also happening at workplace in the public service. And that is why we then have what we refer to as the management of sexual harassment, management and procedure to deal with sexual harassment at the workplace, which is a strategy for that. And we've put it at the level of DGs in different departments to say, if anything like that happens, the DG has to take the lead. The person who is sexually harassed has to go to the DG and report the matter. Or the DG of a department has to appoint a person who report direct to him so that when such happens, the a person who is harassed can actually go to that person and report and the matter is dealt with at that level. They are expected, DGs, in terms of the policy, to report to the Department of Public Service and Administration. Deputy Minister, those mechanisms sound like a way of, of being able to make the issue transparent, being able to look at all of the data points, being able to show progress or activity within the government stratosphere and and hopefully this could roll out into the um, the private sector but what i want to point out now i think it's a pertinent time is to talk about some of the statistics um on to talk about some of the statistics in terms of the extent that women and girls fall prey to sexual violence crimes over 90 percent of sexual offenses are committed against women it's estimated that almost 30% of those crimes go unreported. In the 10-year period between 2008 to 2018, 584,497 sexual offences were reported to the South African Police Services. And we all know that in the period of, of September, October, in 2019, there were various protests regarding gender-based violence, violence uh, femicide, rape. We had shut down Santon. We had Am I Next. We've had the, the 16 days of uh, activism, ag violence against women and children, which are really important awareness campaigns. We also had the extraordinary joint sitting of parliament, which resulted in a five-point plan of, of trying to deal with prevention, um, ensuring adequate care, support and, and healing. Given your experiences within within the department and, and the various work that you've done, what are your views on how we can better address gender-based violence in South Africa? I think awareness campaigns are important. How we socialize our children is important. Um, if you and therefore that will talk to prevention, for instance. Um, are we able to, to see these things before they happen? The issue of abuse of alcohol, abuse of drugs, the availability of those. I, I, I think they are all things that require us to pay full attention to as we are trying to do, difficult as it is. But we are trying to do that. And, and, and for me, one other thing that I, 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 I noted as I was in Egypt is the role of technology. You know, uh, they took us to a technology city for government. And when we were there, 
they showed us the infrastructure, for instance, where you are able to trace a person being born. So government will know, for instance, that this year so many children have been born and so many children are, uh, are five years old and ready to go to whatever level of education. They are ready to go to primary education. So many are now at work because you have all that data captured in the, by technology. So we've got a life stage exactly. management tool. And, and we are able to note at a particular age without even going out to say, we seem to be having this problem at this time with this age. It's, so you're able to do that. And therefore you can plan better and probably to pick up to even say, these are the crimes that are reported affecting women and these are the issues that seem to be common in all of them. Uh, in South Africa, for instance, gender-based violence happens between partners. Yes. Very difficult to deal with. Very difficult for the police to be in the house and, and, and with families that will probably come in and say, no, but this is a family matter. And it's very difficult to report when you're in that circumstance. Very difficult to report. Even if a woman can go to to the police to report, but will be advised by the family to withdraw the case. And, 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 and these are the problems. You will find situations where children are being raped by adult people. Painful. If you go to Tutuzela centers, for instance, you see these things. But how do you prevent those? It's, it's, it's just to make women aware that better not trust anybody with your child. Don't. Don't leave your child well, not even with your own brother. It's better that way. But it's so wrong. Where are the moral fabric of society? Where is it gone? Why is it disintegrated? That, that, that's the problem. That it's, 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 to, for you to, to come to that conclusion, to actually look at your brother and see your own brother as a potential rapist of your child, that takes it too far. But maybe it's better to prevent it than to then have a brother who is arrested by yourself because of maybe it's better that you prevent it and and therefore it's better that you don't trust people with your child you 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 better that way whether that is possible to do and to sustain that's another matter you can do you take you go with your child to a, a restaurant and the child is playing honestly you are seated there because the child is playing you are not aware that somebody looks at that child and sees a sex, a sex object. You can imagine as a mother how you feel. You surely must be thinking that must, was I careless or whatever. But you don't think that at a restaurant somebody will be thinking about raping a child. So I'm, I'm just making that example to say. And, and that's a real example. The reason might actually be that you took your child to the restaurant with you because you could not leave the child with the uncle at home. But now you're at the, at the restaurant, again at the restaurant. So you have all these things that are subjecting women to this pain, to this hat, to this everything. And, 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 and as South Africans, we are saying when it has happened to you, we are there to embrace you. You are not a victim. You are not wrong. You are not weak. You are not careless. It's, it's just that we have a situation where people are becoming worse than animals. Because animals don't do these things. They, no, they don't. Moving away from the gender-based violence dynamic of the conversation and looking towards 
gender equality. In your opinion, what areas do you think we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future? You know, in South Africa, where I am, the first thing I will always emphasize for women is going to school, taking, giving them education. Um, when I address people, I always say, you might be having your degree and sitting at home unemployed, but you are better off than a person who is sitting at home unemployed without anything, without any qualification. You're looking for a job, any job for that matter, but you are looking for a specific job that you are trained for, work that you're trained for. So for me, to empower women, education is key. Then, of course, the resources the finances, so that if after everything you have done, say for instance you want to be an entrepreneur, it must be possible for women and must be easy for women to, uh, to, to access finances and to access resources such as land, such as buildings for instance, because if you want to, to, to have a, a, a company of some kind, you need land, you need building, you need finance, you need people, you need this and that. It must be possible and it must be easy for women to access those things. It shouldn't be that for me to do anything, I need my husband. No. I'm here, I'm an adult, I can do something and I must be allowed to do that. And I think for me, those are important things that women require. And of course, the support from government and from all of us, civil society as well. So it's resources from an external point of view. It's resource, resources from an internal perspective of, of self-development, a support enablement to combine together in an integrated format to give people, well, women specifically, more opportunities. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we are talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Ms. Sindesiwe Chikunga. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Deputy Minister, in the last couple of weeks of, of the show, we've we've had a real focus on, on women in, in leadership and looking at this uh, ac- across the board. So we had the ambassador for the European Union who has origins in Estonia and America. We had the ambassador for Australia and, and Ireland. And one of the, the common pieces that comes out in this conversation is about role modeling and, and women in leadership in particular almost a responsibility as a duty to to the next generation and arguably given the roles that you've served in in your career you have become a role model providing evidence to many women and girls in South Africa that through hard work and, and personal sacrifice everything can be achieved could you share with us a, a couple of anecdotes from the gender challenges that you faced on on your journey First of all, if um, po- from a political point of view, where I am right now, in the past, ministers and deputy ministers were men. And uh, you'd be a minister and deputy minister, for instance, in the Department of Transport, that historically has been a men-oriented department. And the sector as well. The whole sector, whether you talk rail, it's men. 
whether you talk maritime, it's men. Whether you talk aviation, it's men. Whether you talk anything, it's men. And here you are a woman in that department. And you have got to say we have to empower women. People will agree with you, but when they leave, they feel like, but this thing is, this person is threatening our positions. We, if, if they want to bring women, where do we go? But you are saying, no, we need to bring women. We need to create that layer of women that will be able to take over when you go out, when you retire, when you die, when you do, when whatever happens, so that we have women. And, 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 and that is not easy. You need to do it and you need to be passionate about it and to stand firm and say, it. if you talk about aviation, for instance, um, you look into the pilots that we have in South Africa, for instance, the quality of pilots. But how many women are there? Are there? Whether they are black or white, how many are they? They're very few. They're not more than 10 as a matter of fact. And, and, and out of more than 18,000 pilots that we have in South Africa. And, 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 and if you are saying now we want even the academies that are training pilots to focus on women and, and, and that becomes an issue sometimes but we're getting there and that is why it therefore becomes important that we support one another because whatever we will say when we put you as a woman in a position particularly in the management position we are putting you there so that you can bring other women up you you you, you don't when you are there therefore be, be happy to be the only fish in the ocean we have got to kick the ladder so that no other woman can climb the ladder. It's important that we put people up there so that they are able to bring other women to their positions. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's not easy, but it is doable. And we are doing it. We, we, we tried. For instance, when we were in the Department of Transport, we even had things such as SANWIT, which is South African Nation Network of Women in Transport. And we're actually saying this is an umbrella body. And we're saying, what are you doing, rail? And would have women in rail, for instance, and ready to take up important projects in the rail sector. And, and, and we're actually saying it cannot be that we're going to have women who, when they work out there in the railway tracks and they get raped by their counterparts and they report these cases, somebody will say, no, but I've been raped five times. It cannot be a norm that people in the rail sector get raped and it's a norm. So we were actually putting those specific measures that must be taken to protect women so that they continue to work in those areas. Because when they are being raped, they're actually, somebody is actually saying, you are not needed here. So if you want to continue to work here, you must be ready for being raped. It cannot be. So that is the whole issue that we're dealing with. Same thing in the aviation, same thing in the maritime. We would be actually saying, what are the circumstances under which women work when they are in the ocean for 30 days in a vessel for 30 days? Have we created a conducive environment for them? Are, are they safe? What if something happens there? So it's all those issues. And we would actually go to an extent of going to these multilateral bodies to say, let's come up with guidelines for all countries. And South Africa will actually have a voice in that to say, let's have 
guidelines for all member states to IMO, for instance, to say when women are in the vessel for 31 days from South Africa to Australia or to wherever, these are the measures that must be put in place to ensure the safety of women so that they too access that resource or that job opportunity of being seafarers. So yes, that, that, that's a lot that still needs to be done, but I think we're getting there. It, it opens up the issue of inclusivity. Exactly. And I think it's not to take away from diversity, but it's allowing an inclusive society. It's allowing people to participate in, in any way they choose. If they want to go into the maritime environment, that, that women have that option. I was watching a program and uh, it had Hillary Clinton on it and she was talking about, I think, writing a letter when she was younger to become an astronaut to NASA. And NASA sent back a reply saying, no, girls girls can't be astronauts. And looking at her in this conversation and uh, how the world has changed, how women have got opportunity and access to different spaces that if we want to be astronauts, we can be. Exactly. And and just this time around, we're actually even informing ministers as they are appointing people, ministers, to say, we received your request to appoint your advisor to as a man, and can it be that the next one will be a woman, if you're going to have two, in terms of the ministerial handbook. The next one must be a woman. So we're able to do that. But also we do set standards, for instance, for departments to report on the agenda representativity at senior management level, middle management level. Because what is the norm is that departments will say, we now have 62 women and women. But if you look at where these women are, they're down there. And we have said, no, it cannot be. We want to know the representativity of women at senior management level, at middle management level, and of course, at lower levels. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. A program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. Today, we are talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Ms. Sindisiwe Chikunga. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Minister, as a public servant, you work incredibly hard to undertake work which benefits our population. Standing back from everything, what legacy would you like to leave behind? Yeah. Yes. Um, I have passion for people that are poor, but in the farm areas. Uh, For me, it's people that I think have not benefited much from our democracy. They are easily forgotten because they have no voice. They can't be heard. My wish is that we make it possible as South Africa, but even as a continent, that we put in place mechanisms that make all of us and all people to be heard. We consciously are away 
and we make it possible that it does not matter where you are. It does not matter how poor you are, but your voice can be heard. And whatever it is that government can do and what the country can do, be it civil society, it can reach out to even those people that even if nobody comes to them will still not complain. And they should not therefore be victims because they can't complain, because they cannot do it. But somebody must be aware that they exist. I, I, I have passion for those people. I even have programs for them. And, 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 and I can tell stories about somebody who is going to walk to school 15 kilometers from grade 1 up to grade 12. And they manage to pass grade 12. It definitely will not be in terms of the intelligence of that person because of the circumstances. I went to one of the universities and requested them to take a child who did not meet their scorecard in terms of points. And I said, because the depart my department is paying, I'm requesting that you find a way of admitting this child. They did. Believe you me, that child has passed her first year this year with distinction, not just at 70-something percent, but from 82 percent upwards. That is a child whose metric certificate is not a distinction person. It's something else. And, 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 and the circumstances made that child who is supposed to pass, who are supposed to pass a metric with distinction, not to get that. But because of the circumstances, because of the very fact that there is no school transport from the farm area, because they have to walk winter, summer, whatever, rain and so on, 15 kilometers to school, to school and back home every day. That is why she passed her metric. But you provide them with opportunities, then they perform. And I'm talking about somebody who may have never seen a laboratory before. Somebody who may have never seen a library before. But they go to university first. They've got to know how to get a book from a library. When other children who are from schools, they get into the library and get the book. But they still manage to get this. So the point I'm making, my, my legacy will be to say, not just to say we live nobody behind, but to say that behind must be actually defined. Who is this behind that we're talking about? Is it a person from the rural area? Yes, rural area. But there are people from the farm areas, the house there and another somewhere there. And, and, and you see that you, you don't even see it at night because there's no electricity, there's nothing. There's no RDP house, there's nothing. There's no toilet that the government has given them. There's no school transport. But they are there and they too should not be left behind. And how do we bring those people on board? For me, it's critical. And that is what I wish I could be remembered for. And that is my message wherever I go. When they say, departments say, say we have got these opportunities for people, and I say to them, if you, you, you don't know how to access those people, tell me I will go to them, even if it means headhunting them, so that they too can benefit and get the benefits of this democracy, so be it. Let's find a way of reaching out to those people. So for me, left behind, I think to be remembered for to say who are the people that must not be left behind. 
I think that's such a noble legacy to have. And finally, Minister, as we close out our conversation today, could you please share a, a few words of inspiration and a message for the new year which you'd like to pass on to girls and, and women in the continent that are listening to us? I, I just want to say to, to all women in South Africa and in the continent, we have the capability and the capacity to be the best citizens of this continent. And it takes all of us to work together, to support one another, to move this continent forward. Women can do it. We manage our houses and our families, and we can manage anything and move it forward. And if we work together, leaving no women, women behind, we will manage and we will be empowered as women. So I just want to wish all women in the continent a happy festive season, a safe festive season, a secure festive season. And I wish all our women a prosperous new year. And I'm saying to them, we can do it. We will overcome. Thank you for that wonderful, invigorating 2020 message. We can do it and we will overcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having us. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Public Service and Administration, Ms. Sindisiwe Chikunga. Thank you.